And we are kicking off episode 14 here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I'm your host, Jason Duet. Alongside of me will be head coach Frank Monica. And we're here. We finally reached the finish line, coach. Everybody's been playing for that opportunity to make to the Superdome. We have eight great matchups, and it, it should be a fantastic week of football. We're also going to discuss we had some championship games for some co- local college teams, a playoff game, and a crazy playoff shakeout. So we have a lot to talk about here on this episode. But, Coach, let's let's start with the previews for these massive high school football matchups in prep talk. Some really exciting games here in the Superdome. And, again, I think you have to tip your hat, whether you are a fan of it or not, to the, the games that are being produced because of this new eight-division format. Uh, you know, you got to love it. it. It put more teams in the bracket. Uh, there was more competition. Gave an extra game, especially on the select side. They will allow at least a, they can end up playing the season with, with 14 games compared to th- 13 of last year. So this really, really helps. And um, no, let's let's start off at the top and, and with the D1 and public school side. Number three, Destrahan versus number one, Russell. That's the way it's supposed to work out. It's supposed to work out with the, either two or three and number one playing against one another. Russell is very, very physical. Coach Scott's going to talk about them later on. And uh, Destrahan is, is a, uh, a finesse-oriented team that has a real great quarterback, elect- electrifying quarterback. they got a, a great running back, and, and uh, they just have – talent all over the field, but but Rustin can consume the game by just controlling the football. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a war out there. Then the, the team, I think, that flinches first is going to be the team that loses. Yeah, and it should be an exciting one. As you mentioned, what we know, Rustin, North Louisiana football, big physical ball club. Destran, again, they can pass the football. They can run it. Shane Lee is an incredible talent at running back, which is a guy who's getting looks from Florida State and a few other schools this junior year. A very talented football club in Destran, and it'll be maybe the biggest matchup in the Superdome over the course of this weekend. But looking at our next matchup, we have North DeSoto taking on Lutcher. And we've said for a long time, Coach, this Destran team feels like they can make a run. They have an incredible quarterback in Duane Winfield who has just done a fantastic job. North DeSoto's first trip. Um, at least according to my records, making it to a state final game. Lutcher has been there before. Uh, again, maybe yeah. not just this past year, but they've been there before. How much does, it, does that play into it when you have a coach who's played in this setting for multiple schools and has an opportunity to win another one? They, uh, North DeSoto, uh, they, you know, they're, they're well coached. Coach Dennis Dunn, a lot of people don't realize that, was at Evangel for years and built that program up, then went to Louisiana College for a number of years, and now he stepped down, and he's running this fast-paced offense at North DeSoto, and it's giving people a lot of fits. Uh, they have a, a great back and a good receiver. Uh, so they're, they're going to be a team to reckon with. But on the flip side of it, Lutch is going to control the line of scrimmage, and Winfield carried the ball 45 times last week, 45 times against West Louisiana, and, uh, and, and had a lot of success doing it. And, and, um, and uh, you know, stayed in one formation the whole last drive, and consumed nine minutes off the clock in the last drive to put the ball game away. So that could be a, a great game. Lutcher has six state championships previously, and I was part of a couple of those. And, and, uh, and very, very exciting. That community is excited. And, uh, you know, not so to be the first time there, but that, I don't know if that, that matters because uh, I think Coach Dunn is an excellent coach. And coach, it's going to be a fine game. And that's one of those games that could also be uh, destined for overtime. Yeah, another very exciting matchup there. But when you look at, the next matchup, it's uh, another exciting one. 
number one, Manny taking on number three, Union Parish. Manny has been a powerhouse staple program in the state of Louisiana, especially recently have a very talented linebacker there as well. And Union Parish only has the leading rusher in Louisiana state history of all time on their squad. And they played North Louisiana football. Coach, another way to put it, they'll load the box and run right at you, especially with Trey Holly and what he's able to do. He's a bruiser back and he just runs right at you. I got a chance to watch him his freshman year take on St. James and just he popped. He was a kid that you knew was going to be special. But, Coach, this is a a very intriguing matchup between these two schools that know how to make deep runs. And it's going to be interesting to see them both lay their cards on the table. Well, you know, Manny's been there before. I mean, they're stepping up a little bit in class here. And, I mean, that's one thing in handicap you look at. Uh, Union Parish is a very, very physical football team. They were always one of the, the, the top programs in powerlifting. And a lot of those guys go spats forces those guys if you're a football player you can be a power lifter also and when you look at these guys i mean they're they're all chiseled and and bowed up and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger type guys even though they might be little but uh they'll be they'll be very powerful and if they if they're going to win the game against Manny Manny's more i think of a finesse team big play type of offense they're going to win the game Manny i mean Union Parish is going to have to control the clock and keep their offense off the field for Manny in our next big matchup, we have Oak Grove taking on Homer in what does it mean? Interesting, lower-level, non-select title game. Coach, Homer likes to put up points. Um, yeah. they, they put up big numbers offensively, and it's interesting to see if Oak Grove can can handle what they're bringing offensively. Yeah, exactly right, uh, Jason. Uh, Oak Grove, though, is the furthest distance from any team to come to the Superdome will be them. And uh, I'm sure that I'm sure they're looking forward to it. That's not their first trip down here. Uh, they're they're always a very physical football team, and uh, we, and they expect to win. That's one thing about it. Even though two and three, so it worked out. It worked out quite well. Uh, this so this would be a good way to kick it off and kick off the Superdome and the classic for the first time in a long time in three years that we've been there. In our next matchup, we have the select side of the bracket, which we're start on on Brother Martin taking on John Curtis. Because Brother Martin, you said many times, and I will give you credit, you said many times, Brother Martin has an opportunity to make a run. They're on the right side of the bracket. They have a path that they have an opportunity to make some noise. And they, I mean, they played some really good ball clubs, beat Karen Crow this past weekend, and were able to make, put themselves in position to be in this game. John Curtis goes and pulls off what many would consider a massive upset. Catholic was easily considered to be the team to beat. And they're able to win that ball game, but this is going to be a big physical ball game in the Superdome between these two teams, and it should be a very exciting physical ball game to watch. Yeah, John Curtis came from behind two scores actually win that game. One was a muff punt that the Catholic had, and they were very, very fortunate to be here. But you have to be in position. A good football team stayed in position to win, and they did that. Now this matchup is intriguing because the Lambert kid at running back for Brother Martin, a big fine offensive line that they that they have there. So they will match up Curtis's strength on on the defensive side of the ball. I think the difference could be special teams, where Curtis really excels in special teams. And uh, you know, the rematches always go to the underdog. I don't know if I believe that. Sometimes they don't work out like that, but they also know one another so well because they've played one another so many times. So um, this could be a, a great matchup there. But but again, um, Brother Martin playing with a lot of confidence now. They've had they played three public schools to go through that bracket. 
to get to this point. Curtis had a tougher road, but yet sometimes you can use up all that emotion to get there. Just because you're in the Superdome does not mean that you play well. So uh, this this game could could really be a, a, born, a born burner all the way to the end. Coach, this next matchup in the select side, it's, it's interesting because when we've looked at teams that have been playing in the Superdome from our list, there's only been one team that's been consistently in the state title game over the past four or five years, which is Manny. This game, you have two teams which have been in the Superdome or in Lafayette Christian's case, been in the state championship game quite a bit over the past four years. And you have Lafayette Christian who is now playing up uh, against St. Thomas Moore, which is a team that has dominated their classification for quite some time. We know that St. Thomas Moore is going to be a very um, talented team offensively. Lafayette Christian coaches a young team that's finding a way to play in at this elite level and have done it in style. It is a very exciting, intriguing matchup between Lafayette Christian and St. Thomas Moore. Yeah, even before, Jason, even before they came out with this select and added more people into the bracket, uh, Lafayette Christian, even last year, had decided that they were going to play up. They wanted to play in a bigger, higher classification for a better district and more competition in the district because their competition only came for them at the very end. And, and basically, I was against St. Charles Catholic, you know, the last couple of years. But uh, St. Thomas Moore, as you said, uh, they have an excellent offense. They believe in putting up points. Lafayette Christian scored 70 points last week. They scored 77 the week before. And, I mean, they, they play some real, real good competition. And uh, the quarterback is electric. They got a lot of talent, a lot of speed on the field. And this game, uh, because of both of teams are in no huddle offense, this game could last forever, And uh, especially if there's some incompletions there. And, and uh, so, you know, the, that next ball game might not talk, start to Mardi Gras or something like that. So this could be a very interesting game. And, and uh, bring your calculator, and uh, you might have to add an extra bulb on, on the scoreboard because this could be, this could be a marathon game and, of scoring. It, it's going to look like a basketball score. And it's another rematch game, Coach. Earlier in the season, it was St. Thomas Moore winning 41-34. to 34. So, as you mentioned, marathon game, I would expect something very similar. Uh, Coach, St. Charles is going to take on Dunham in the state finals. Dunham is a team that's been close. They haven't been able to get there, and they finally break through a huge win over U-High, which is – a bit of an upset for many people. Uh, you look at the way U-High has played um, for quite some time, and they're big and physical, and Dunham pulling out that win. St. Charles, this is nothing new. They've been here before. They've been in this position, and they have another opportunity. This time, it's the only difference is they're getting a chance to play in the Superdome, which is something that they haven't done since you were the head coach, if I'm not mistaken, right? So yes. uh, this should be um, – Interesting to see them play in that venue against the Dunham team, which they've faced in the playoffs quite a few times in the past few years. Well, we played uh, Dunham twice in the last two years. I mean, and uh, we got the better end of the thing. But Dunham now, that was no fluke that they beat University High. And University High is a real good football team. They scrimmaged St. Charles Catholic early in, in August and got the better end of that. And I think everybody anticipated since you high tore apart Newman, a real good Newman football team, uh, that they, they assumed that they would win. But Dunham, Coach Neil Winant, some of the same guys that played, uh, that started for him as sophomores, they're now seniors on that football team. Uh, I had an opportunity to watch that tape. There was no fluke. They actually were more physical than University High. Uh, they do. The quarterback is, is a kid, a house kid. He's the son of the defensive coordinator from LSU. And uh, he's made a difference in that football team. He's a powerful guy, not real fast, but a powerful guy that, that runs a lot of quarterback runs and stuff like that. Uh, St. Charles Catholic, though, is well-rounded. 
Uh, they're well, well-rounded. They know how to play in big ball games. They've had a, a tough schedule. Uh, they, 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 you know, they can weather the storm. The quarterback, Aiden Northamont, it might be one of the best quarterbacks, in, all-around quarterbacks that, that St. Charles has ever seen as far as a runner, a thrower. He's got a very, very quick release. And, um, and so St. Charles is going to bring three phases to the game. So it's going to take a real, real good effort by Dunham to defeat them. But yet on the flip side, Dunham has some, has some big alignment. They, they, the only negative that they have, a number of their, their guys go two ways, where St. Charles platoon. So uh, this could be a, a wheel of a game also. There's been there's no game when you look at it on paper, Coach, and it's, it's a one-sided affair. I think they're all going to go down to the wire, and that's what's, that's what's been missing from Louisiana high school football. And that's why we're so excited that – We've seen this change. We're just hoping that the change either continues or we see an eventual uh, merger. Uh, hopefully, that'll come in the future. But we got one more game to get to, Coach. Uh, one seed, Vermillion Catholic, taking on three seed, Washington Christian. Uh, both teams have are, again, perennial powerhouse programs. Vermillion Catholic has been dominating whatever division they've been in for quite some time. Washington Christian has also had a ton of success, and it's going to be a very tight matchup to watch these two teams play, uh, both like that, like offense, and we, we'll probably see a good bit of that on uh, Thursday right. night. Yeah, the Million Catholic from Abbeville has always been a strong program. I mean, down there, always a, just tough, hard nose. They they got behind last week against uh, against St. Martin, but it didn't take them long to even that score and then then blow that that game wide open. And uh, this is going to be a great game, also. And and you just said something, Jason. I think is so important. I think the scores of this ball game are really going to tell the difference what's going to happen in January. Because if we do get a lot of close ball games, I think a lot of people will have the sentimental, um, uh, uh, the mentality, let's keep this thing like it is. Because there's there's talk that this thing might change and some of the, the so-called select schools might opt and fight to go back to the public school side. So I think uh, all in all, uh, we're in for a real, real fine weekend. Coach, uh, before we head to, to the college segment, I think it's, it's fair to say – when you've looked at brackets the past eight, nine years, again, I'm not, I don't know the exact number. There's been games you've looked at on paper with nine divisions, nine, nine championships, and you've, you've, been, you've had to look and go, there, there might be three competitive games, honestly. And, I mean, it's, it's nice to see a full slate of games where and either team can win. You know they're going to be tight ball games. Maybe a team pulls away late, but there's no team on paper going into any of these games that I look at and say, this is going to be ugly. And it, I really hope, as you mentioned, that people pay attention, they watch, and say, look, this is going to put the best product on the field. It's going to give us competitive games all the way through. Because, again, I, I've seen a massive difference in week-to-week games, much less just these state championship matchup. So I, I'm very excited to see these games on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Then the other thing, the financial reimbursement, Jason, they, they, that's set. It's already set, you know, because I think, you know, last year everybody got a little jealous about how much that Jesuit and Catholic High took home and, and St. Charles Catholic LCA, how much they took home. E.D. White and St. John, how much they took home. And uh, they saw that, wait a minute now, that, that, that's great. But the Superdome is very, very expensive to put on a show like this, the rental fees and everything like that. But at least they're going to get a nice chunk of money from um, from the thing and, and the exposure that the kids get once in a lifetime experience. And you would know, Coach, having played there. And what's the – before we head off uh, into the college segment, what is – you mentioned that there was a few distractions um, to me on the phone when you, when you do play in the Superdome beforehand. But 
Uh, apparently, there's not going to be a ton of that this year. But what's the biggest difference between playing in the Superdome and in Shreveport at Independent Stadium or in one of these college stadiums that are hosting have been hosting titles in across Louisiana? Well, when you when you play just one single game in the stadium, you have the field to yourself, the locker rooms to yourself, and you're not pressured about when to be on the field, when to get off the field uh, after ball game, and whether you're taking pictures or whatever the thing might be. And uh, when you have other people playing before you or after you, you're sort of you know relegated to a time to a time slot, and that makes it a little bit a little bit burdensome on the coaches. And you feel like sometimes you feel like you're rushed into a game, and uh, they rush on the field. You have you have to be off the field for a certain time so they can make the announcements and presentations and things of that nature you know where where if you had one one game you can take care of all that prior to the game and you know exactly what your itinerary is and that's a so when you when you when you're being rushed like that you don't so but on the flip side of it it's worth it because a fan can now stay and watch three ball games in one day and that's that's pretty cool when you can and a lot of people be up in the suites and stuff like that and just enjoy an entire weekend like that. But but from the coaching standpoint, it is a, so much of a hassle because everybody in the community wants a little bit part of the team. They want to take pictures. They want sideline passes. Uh, they would like to be part of it. They, I mean, it, it's amazing the phone calls that you get that people want to get when you get to the big show, especially when it comes down to Superdome. Coach, I don't know if I don't know those people know you that well because um, I know I've said it before. You kind of ruined me when, when calling and talking to coaches before games on game day. I don't want to talk to coaches on game day because I always say I've seen Coach Monica on game day. And I, that's, that's not a man I want to talk to in the middle of a game uh, before a game. And what drives me nuts, Coach, is when, when you see these people going up to coaches in the middle of games and getting these middle of the games interviews. And I just shake my head. And I, I, I've thought about this ever since I played for you. I go, I, I would not want to be the person that would have to interview Coach Monica <laughs> in the middle of a game. That does not sound like a fun assignment. Um, no. You're way too intense, Coach. It, it, it's a great thing if you're playing the team, but when you're when you're covering you, that's not not a position I would want to be in. Um, no, I mean, really, coaches don't like that. They're so focused on uh, they put so much into a game, and, it, it, and it, it, there's no time for small talk. And uh, that commentator interviewer. Uh, let's say, um, you know, he doesn't have anything on the line. He has to do his job. That's the part that we understand, too. We, we, we want the guy to be able to do his job. Don't want to get him or, or she in trouble. But, uh, you know, when they ask stupid questions, then all of a sudden you say, wait, wait a minute. No. <laughs> but, I mean, you have to sometimes ignore it or, or just kind of give them some type of BS answer just to get them away from you. <laughs> Coach, you never give those. I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and look at our local college recap. We've had a few – Championship games and a big playoff game. Coach, uh, we'll start with LSU, Georgia. Not really surprised here, 50 to 30. Um, do I need to say it? We've said it every week. Coach, yeah. if if I, as a never was, never has been, never will, former high school player, am sitting on my couch and I see a blocked field goal and I'm screaming at the television to cover the ball, it is inexcusable for a college team to be to be unprepared for that. The sidelines weren't yelling. The players clearly weren't prepared for it and weren't aware. But the lack of understanding of game situation and knowing what was happening at the moment is it, embarrassing. And it, I'm not going to say it cost LSU the game because Georgia dominated in every facet. LSU was able to put up big numbers offensively, and I think that was a little bit of Georgia kind of sitting back and saying, well, we don't have to shut you down. We can sit back. But – Impressive performances offensively by JT Daniels on a bum wheel and 
Garrett Nussmeyer, you know, airing the ball in the second half, both threw, threw for over 200 yards. But uh, Georgia was clearly the better team. Had, a, a, like I said, the blocked field goal and a football bounce off a wide receiver's helmet for an interception. But even without that, Georgia was head and shoulders the better team. Well, Jason, I talked on this podcast about little tips, tips and reminders that you go over with teams right prior to games and practices. And one of those things about what happens if the ball crosses the line of scrimmage on a block, what happens if the ball does not cross the line of scrimmage on the block? You go over those tips and reminders. There might be 25, 30 of those, especially there are odd things that take place in special teams, more so than scrimmage snaps. That's why those things have to be covered. Even Georgia, though, if you looked at the tape closely, even Georgia didn't know what to do. I mean, it wasn't until after the guy picked it up and they realized that the official wasn't going to blow it dead uh, that, that they allowed it to stand. But uh, it's inexcusable for that to happen on college level. Uh, it can happen on any level, I might say. But, uh, and because, but you have to school those kids thoroughly. Uh, the flip side of it, too, I think LSU lost their stinger. Um, you know, it's like a bumblebee when you lose your stinger, you're no, no longer effective. They lost their stinger in that Texas A&M game. Uh, there's a failed opportunity there. The Texas A&M game, in my mind, was, was, was the game that they should have pushed hard for to win. The Georgia game was a gimme. You know, and uh, they, they couldn't play. They couldn't play with Georgia right now. They're not ready for that. Coach Kelly had a phenomenal year. But, um, you know, it's no surprise the game ended like that. I'm glad that Nussmeyer got in at the end to, to show that he could, he's a worthy backup. But but Dangerous is still the guy that can take him to, to, to better things, especially when they go to the Citrus Bowl. And let's hope that he's healthy and he continues to play. Let's hope that he comes back next year for LSU. But Georgia is a team that, uh, you know, that's a well-rounded and they can play all phases. Yeah, we'll talk about them in uh, just a few moments when we look at the Final Four for the playoffs. Um, also, let's take a look at UCF taking on Tulane. Coach, first conference title for Tulane since 1998, and it was an incredible sight to see. Uh, the, the fans on the field, just the emotion that went into that win. Tulane is a program that has had some ups and downs since that time in 1998, and it's just – it's awesome to see what Coach Fritz has been able to do. And we've discussed it many times. There were so many factors that went into last season, them only winning two games. But to get this opportunity just a year after that and to put on an incredible display week in and week out, not to mention to beat the, to redeem yourself in the, the game that you lost against UCF, it was a really awesome sight. And I'm, I'm just so proud to be able to watch this team and just – enjoy the products of they're, they're fun to watch they're, they're fun yeah. to watch because they, they they're purists uh coach fritz is i in my mind is is the best coach in america today i mean for for what he puts on the field there are not many five-star recruits out there i mean there are not many there are not many first round draft choices out there but to watch his team he's a football purist he coaches himself he gets on the field himself. He coaches. He handles the tackling drills. He handles special teams. He's got a coordinator, but he's actually there right with them. And he's got his hand on the pulse of that, that football. But he's a real coach. He's not just a CEO, CEO turning it over and delegating everything. He's involved with the program. It was no fluke. All of a sudden, here comes Central Florida. They make a push to get within three points. And before you know, boom, Tulane puts up two more touchdowns to get separation on big plays. 
Uh, Pratt plays extremely, extremely well, but their two inside linebackers are exceptional. Number one and number two, I mean, Anderson and Williams, they're, they're exceptional. You saw that, uh, you saw on the fourth down, run down the quarterback, who's, who ate him up the first ball game and made a tackle, but I'm tickled to death. And now here they are, they're going to go play USC, a storied program with national recognition. And here's Tulane, win two games last year, and all of a sudden here they're going for, for win number 12. That's pretty exceptional in one year. And, I mean, uh, th that guy should be coach of the year. Uh, like I said, uh, there are a lot of good coaches out there, but, but they're playing with a lot of five-star recruits and, and D D1 guys and, and stuff like that. He isn't. And uh, he's built he's built the program there, and the kids believe in him. And I just can't say enough about their team. And listen, um, USC better come come play. Uh, they're going to have better talent. They're going to have a lot of draft choices on the field and stuff like that. But Tulane is a well-rounded group. They can play all three phases. And uh, they, and listen, they, they got a couple guys that, you know that that can that can play a couple receivers and and uh, the defense is sound. Um, they, they're not real real big up front on the defensive line. But they will be in position to play, and and uh, so I'm I'm tickled to death for Coach Fritz. If he's not national coach of the year, you don't know what I'm saying. I mean, it's a, it's a travesty. I agree. Uh, the job he's done is phenomenal, and I think you're seeing the country start to appreciate and recognize that, especially with the, the rumors going around and being able to focus on this game, Coach. That's that's something in itself as well. Being able to have his team prepared despite all those outside the outside noise and everything else going on, those conversations. But next week we'll have a chance to, since there's, neither team is playing a game, we'll get a chance to break down some of the, these bowl matchups in a little bit more depth. Uh, but in a playoff game that you had Southeastern uh, having a tough one on the road against Sanford, 48-42. to 42. Sanford won that ball game. Southeastern has nothing to hang their head about, though. An incredible season, yet another great run for this program. And, you're just continuously seeing this staff and this program build, and it's uh, and it continues to take a step forward. And just came up a bit short this past weekend, but again, I, I don't think it'll be very long before you see them in a similar situation. No, he, no he, another overtime game. They won last week against Idaho in overtime, and this time it was it was against Sanford in overtime. They get they got beat there. Coach Selfo, as we talked about, has done a tremendous job. He's got two quarterbacks there that can play. Uh, and um, they're coming back, and uh, now that that's all, you know, when you have some success, uh, Lamar University is now kind of talked to Coach Selfo about the possibility of moving over there, and and I think um, the Southeastern is going to have to counter to to try to keep him. So congratulations to him and that program for, for having a fine season. And Coach, before we talk about the Saints, let's look at the Final Four and in in college football playoffs. Now you have Georgia taking on Ohio State, and you have Michigan taking on TCU. What are your thoughts on the, the four selection and the seeding? Because I, I will say there was a comment made by the committee that seeding wasn't impacted by prior matchups, but I, I have a little bit of a tough time believing that. Well, I, you know, the, Nick Saban, you know, he made a little plea, and I think I agree with him totally. Uh, Nick Saban said, you know, he, he lost two ball games on the road, the very last play of each one of them. And, uh, you know, he should have been, even though everybody said, well, there's a two-loss team. Well, what it was, it came down. They didn't want to put two Southeastern Conference teams in there. That's what it came down to. TCU really kind of struggled through. the. They actually won, but they kind of struggled through. Here they lose They lose to a team that's, that's lost three ball games in a championship ball game, in, in championship game. And I can see what Saban told Put it to you this way. And uh, Saban said the same thing. If Alabama was lined up against TCU, what would the line be on that game? 
Alabama would be a two-touchdown favorite. If they were lined up against Ohio State, they'd be at least a seven to ten point favorite. So the bottom line is, and I'm not saying the Ohio State deserved to be out, you know, but that, that loss to Michigan at home uh, was very significant. So in my mind, Alabama should have been in that final, final four, and I agree with Saban on that. And I think that's what the country would love to have seen. I think the, the country would love to have seen uh, Alabama be there because remember, they, they didn't lose at home. They lost those two ball games on, on road, and both of those games actually with the very, very last play. Coach, I think the one question that kind of comes into play when looking at this playoff system, and this has been kind of the the big concern over a playoff in general, is what is the committee trying to accomplish? Because one of two tra- schools of thought, are you trying to find A, the best team, or B, the most deserving team? Because I think there is a difference between the two. Um, and when you look at Bama losing two games as opposed to these other schools, I understand the way things played out. But I'm also 100% with you. If you line up Alabama against this TCU ball club, there's no question. I think Alabama-Ohio State would be a, a very fun game to watch. But I don't think there's any doubt that Alabama would, would outplay TCU, in my personal opinion. But my thing is, Coach, do you truly believe that the seeding didn't come down to prior matchups. I, I don't see that being the case. I don't know how you look at Ohio State and TCU and line up TCU in that three slot without taking into account the fact that it would have been a matchup from two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I agree. Just, I think the scheduling is so is so big. I mean, when you play real good competition, you need to be rewarded for that. I mean, that's a, I mean, TCU's conference compared to Southeastern Conference is a no-brainer. I think we all know that. I mean, the Southeastern Conference is, is, is layered with 100,000-seat stadiums. I mean, big programs and programs that put every year a lot of players in the NFL. Not saying it's taking anything away from TCU and the Texas of the world. But, uh, but you know, they struggle through their, their season. And I think, I, I'm not saying that they're not good. The Dugan guys possible he's a possible Heisman Trophy candidate he's going to be sent to New York I, I get that but I think you, you need to be rewarded for a tough count now the new situation this is all be Waterbridge the new situation when they go to 12 teams will rectify some of this but even with that remember I said this even with that there'll be that 13th 14th team on the bubble and you're still going to have controversy back then but at least within 12 you at least get a better comparison a, a well-rounded segment of who can be in that championship game and we'll get that system a year sooner, obviously, with that news coming out that they will push it forward. So it'll be here in you know, one more year of a 14 playoff, and then we'll see that 12 team kick into effect. Uh, let's turn gears and take a look at the New Orleans Saints. Coach, There was there's an ESPN metric that measures probability, and it was at 97% at one point in that game yesterday against the Buccaneers. It seems like losing teams find a way to lose and it, it that's at the point of the season where the saints are it when you are a team that is losing no matter what the odds are in your favor or against you you find a way to lose and unfortunately that seems like the that's at the point where the saints are um well this late in the season you know, tom brady got a lot of credit but he should not even been a factor in at the in the fourth quarter i mean the, the saints should have iced that ball game and put it away he should not even had possession, one of his last possessions, if if they take care of things. Number one, uh, here's, here's the running back, 
Malcolm, Heisman Trophy winner, played at Alabama for four years. And I mean, been in the league for a long time, just came back. He runs out of bounds on second down, catches a pass, and the, st the sticks are right there. The, the down markers on the sideline of the vision team, they're right in front of you. And that's inexcusable for a guy, a pro guy that makes $5 million a year. I don't even know what he makes uh, to, to, make, to make that kind of mistake. That cost you a first down that had been more, at least another set of downs to, to run and look at and look at the big picture and they'll tell what it was taking place. Then, and right after that, the Saints, they throw a pass. They throw a slant route on third down. I don't know whether Dalton checked to it. He, hit, he had press coverage on the outside, but I don't know, had he just run the ball, had he run the ball, the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had to either take the timeout or the, or the uh, they let the, another 40-second uh, run off the clock, one of the two. And uh, so I didn't understand that or maybe even go for it. The Saints could actually go for it on fourth down. But early in the game, Jason, I was, that was more frustrated. Uh, Lavi misses a pass right in the stands on a corner ball, deep in, deep in Tampa Bay's territory. That cost him, that forced that forced a punt. Uh, later on, that uh, Jarvis Landon misses one. He kind of one-handed the ball rather than laying out. I don't know uh, why didn't he lay out for that ball. I mean, he just kind of one-handed the ball. And, and those both those throws were right there. Then everybody talks about Taysom Hill. I understand that. Uh, he, was, he was sandwiched. It, it, that was a blow-up. Uh, it would have been nice if he held on to that ball, but that was a great throw. I don't think I don't think uh, Dalton could have played any any better than what he played. But just to see those things happen. But let me tell you that there's another play on the very last possession that the Saints had. For some reason, the Saints lined up in 21 personnel. They lined up in a high formation with a wing, second down and nine, and they ran a play-action pass, second down and nine, they ran a, I don't know why they weren't in gun and spread receivers. They took their best receivers off the field. Lavi was off the side. Uh, Sheehan, whatever his name is, he was off the sideline. And they ran a one receiver route and a back and a flat on a play action pass. He had nowhere to go. It was covered and it cr it created a sack. That was a that call did not make a bit of sense to me uh, at that time in the game. As they created a sack, got him way behind the chain. That was right before he threw the ball right down the middle to to heel. And uh, but but all that said said and done, that was another occasion. I didn't understand what the penalty was. They're on a two yard line, third down, and they get a penalty. And I don't know if it was too many men breaking the huddle or whatever it was. They get a penalty on the two yard line, and uh, and and they backed them up to the, to the seven. And uh, ended up with a, with a field goal with that. But uh, but there are so many factors. They dominated the game for three and a half quarters. They dominated the game. And I, it, it, uh, it, it really, I felt sorry for, for Coach Allen because it was not his fault. There comes a time when some of those players need to take accountability. But the guy running out of bounds, I mean, I don't know how that game would have turned out. But Tom Brady was completely no factor up until that point in that game until all of a sudden, um, you know, the momentum switched right there when we had to punt the ball. And that'll do it for our first segment. When we come back, we'll have our special guest, Marcus Scott, head coach of the Destrian Wildcats, going to discuss this game against Russ and then some other topics as well. Later on, we have Football 101 segment, where Coach is going to discuss hash marks in football um, and also the no-huddle offense. So don't touch that dial. Remember, you're watching on Varsity Sports Now. We want to thank our title sponsor, Ocado and Dufresne Law Firms, for being the sponsor of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Samuel Ocado Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Ocado and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. 
We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.A.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with RK Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to the Let's Be Frank video podcast. We want to welcome our special guest. He was an all-state safety at Jesuit High School. Earned a letter in all four years during his top playing time at McNeese. He was a former head coach of West Jeff and John Eric and the current head coach of the Destrehan Wildcats. We want to welcome on our special guest, Marcus Scott. Coach, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations to an incredible season and getting the opportunity to play in the Superdome. It's, it's awesome to see for Destrehan High School. But, you know, Coach, your team comes into every season with lofty and high expectations. How was your team able to live up to that billing this season and make the run that they have? Well, the kids, um, they, they basically put the pressure on themselves to, to try to uh, – get a chance to get back to this game. Our seniors played in this game as freshmen, and we had about three or four of them that started on that team. 
So the goal was for them to, to get back. And, of course, the last two years we fell a game short. And so, um, you know, that that's something that they want to um, end their high school careers uh, with is, is being able to play for a state title. Hey, Coach, well, congratulations. Uh, this is this is Frank Monica. Listen, very, very proud of him. One of my, my former student athletes, you know, that, um, that uh, that's now coaching in the big game. Coach, um, how's the excitement around the, around the school for this game? It's exciting, you know, that the, uh, the, the whole community is, is, is involved and, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a special place because of the community support. So uh, it's a lot of excitement. You know, Coach, uh, with my experience of playing in the Superdome, it also comes with a lot of distractions. How did you handle that this week? Because everybody wants a sideline pass. I mean, people have never seen you. You only want a sideline pass. You want to be close to the action, and you get to all these phone calls. So, how have you handled that? Those distractions so far. Well, you know, things have changed a little bit. You know, they they basically have uh, gone to all online ticket ticketing, and so then um, they also eliminated the Thursday walkthrough day and picture day. So that's. Uh, I hate that the kids didn't get a chance to experience the walkthrough, but it also is less of a distraction, you know. So um, let's try to look at it in a positive light. But yeah, no it, it is a lot of stuff going on. You certainly um, right about that. Because when did you know during the year? What was your your first game? Because I know you guys always have a big rivalry game against Hanville, um, and you and you actually cruise through the season. Uh, really easily. I mean, average over 40 points a game and, and uh, really your district wasn't really, really that tough. And But when did you really realize that you felt, felt like your team was a dome team? Probably, uh, probably when we handled the road, so we had to go to Salt for week eight. And, um, you know, it was, we had to handle a road trip. And so, uh, we wanted to to make it uh, as close to a playoff atmosphere as possible, and you know, once once we handled that with some maturity, I I, I, I felt like you know we we have a chance to to have a special year. Yeah, coach. Uh, there's a lot of talk, and we've actually had a guy that was on earlier that he was a recruiting guru, and he talked uh, highly about your team. He said that you could have as many as eight or nine prospects on your football team. Um, what, what's your take on that? Well, the, the the kids have have worked hard, and they they understand that the uh, their individual success um, only comes with team success, and so um, there's there's enough room for everyone to to be successful individually if you just buy into team and and, and put the team first. And so they've been able to do that. A lot of kids have sacrificed uh, personal stats and, and individual numbers. Um, so we could spread the ball around or and, or play a different position like our quarterback, who's a natural uh, defensive back. Uh, he's a prospect at defensive back, but he wants to win, and he was our best option. So he sacrificed some of his recruitment as a defensive back to play uh, quarterback. So we have that type of selfless, uh, those type of selfless individuals, and that leads to team success. That, that's what it takes. It's, it's all about the team. Coach, uh, you know, you found a legend there. Uh, Coach Robichaud was there, had a lot of success there uh, with a couple of state championships, and here you are. Coach, back up a little bit and give me your background since, since you first played at Jesuit High School and, uh, 
and went on and went on to other other schools too, and taking a head coaching job at West Jefferson. Then there, back up a little bit. Give us a rundown on your career so far. All right, so um, I was able to. I, I played at uh, at high school at Jesuit, out, and I played at Magnese on some really good teams um, in the in the in the nine in the late nineties there. And then in from from coaching, I I uh, my first job was at JS Clark, and and that's when when I was able to work at there, I realized that this was what I was called to do. So from 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 Clark, I went to Jesuit for three years as an assistant with Coach Vic Umont. And um, so after that, we moved to Texas. So I was able to coach Texas high school football for three years before moving back home in 2007, where I worked for Coach uh, Coach Hank Tierney at West Jefferson in 2007. Um, 2008, I became I was promoted to be the head coach, and I was at West Jefferson from uh, 2008 to 2013. Um, after that, defensive back coach at Nichols. And then I was called to be um, the defensive coordinator under Steve Robichaux at, at Destrahan. And two years there, and then two years as the head coach at John Eric. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to come back to Destrahan. And this is year number three. Coach, you've, you've, worked, you've worked with some great coaches and great guys. Um, I remember you when you played – for me at Jesuit High School, you were tougher than a two-dollar steak. You know back then, and even though you're a young guy, and uh, and you you were pretty pretty athletic back then. I'm sorry that uh, I didn't coach you all the way through at that time. I'd left to left to go there. But coach, you know, give me a little scout scout report. You got the big game here, and uh, we have to talk a little bit about Ruston, the number one seed. And uh, you know, everybody was looking for this matchup from from day one. Uh, and go, going into the, the the bracket naturally, and your fourteen zero team and two fourteen zero that's pretty impressive there. But give us a scout report on Ruston. Well, uh, typical North Louisiana uh, ball club, uh, very physical on both uh, lines, on both up front on both lines of scrimmage, uh, offensively and defensively. Um, they 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 play uh, a physical brand of football uh, offensively. And, and you know, and their defensive front really can get after you. So we 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 have to be at our best, uh, certainly. But you know, we can expect power run game and and uh, play action passes. And so they're they're very good at it. And um and you can see the job that Coach Ball does with his ball club. They always uh, in in the mix. So we we've seen them the last two years in the quarterfinals. Um and so this is our third meeting in thirty three years. So um. And both and all, both games came down to the wire. You know, the first game was a six-zero game there in the quarters that we were fortunate enough to win on a scoop and score for a touchdown. And then uh, last last year it was twenty-four to ten, but the the score was uh, does not indicate how close the ball game really was. Coach, you know that um, I got to go way back nineteen seventy-eight. Uh, I was at Lutcher High School. We had already clinched a, a district championship. We were 9-0 and and went to play Destrahan. We went to play Destrahan. They only had two wins that year. And my kids had a head bigger than a, you know, bigger than a, than a, a, a Halloween mask. But anyway, we go down there, and we were flat all week long. But, but Destrahan beat us. Coach Chipper Simon was the head coach back then. And Destrahan beat us. I never will forget that. 
But you know what? I lectured to the team. I didn't lecture. You know, I dropped a couple, you know, bad words on them. And But, you know, uh, thank God that we got beat because it gave us a wake-up call and we ended up winning the state championship because I told the kids, if this happens again, you're done. You know, and I think that was a big, big wake-up call because I know you had a tough game against East St. John, didn't you, to, to get to this point? Yeah, we did. Look, we knew we were going to have, a, have, a, have one of those type of games at some point. Uh, we were not at our best, but East St. John played well that night, you know, and, and um, I was just happy that our kids found a way to win at the end. You know, um, the fourth quarter came and we made a few more plays than them, but they uh, they certainly pushed us to the limit, which is what we needed. Yeah, no question. I mean, we're hearing great things. that We know that's going to be a phenomenal game, Coach, and um, you've done a, a great job. You just have to finish it, put all the distractions away, because I know with the Superdome, and the one thing I didn't like about playing in the Superdome is that the, it's a they, it's a hurry-up thing. They put you on a time schedule, and uh, before you know it, you're in and out of there, and uh, you play the game, and it, it's pretty tough. And, and by eliminating that extra practice for a little bit where your kids could get used to the surroundings, the locker rooms and things like that, and don't get don't get caught up in the glitter of the lights and stuff of that nature. But I think that uh, it'll be fair for everybody because they're all in the same room. Coach, so a question I have for you. Are you guys forced to use the Baden ball this year? The Baden ball? No. Yes. Good. No, Good. We're, not, we're not forced to use it. Good, because I know that in the, in the past years, the Superdome, because of the, the sponsorship, but I, I don't even know if they even have the sponsorship anymore with the LHSAA. So I asked that question. But, Coach, anything else that you want to add that you can that you can tell us about the game? Well, as you guys know, uh, we can't get to this point without, obviously, uh, my assistant coaches. Uh, the kids have been great. And, you know, so many people that, that – uh, that support us behind the scenes to, 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 to help uh, make us successful. You know, our administration, uh, you know, from our teachers, uh, the other support groups on campus. And, and so, you know, it's, it's truly a, a team effort and, it, and it's, a, it's a, a community effort, you know, so that when, whenever you get to this point, it's, it's certainly not just about football, but it's about everybody who, who sacrifices and pours into the, into the program. Coach, that's beautifully said. Exactly right. And you actually applaud and give kudos to the people that count there. And I, that's so important. And people don't realize that without a strong administration and coaching staff, you know, those things just don't happen. But uh, just remember, Coach, you just don't want to visit here. You want to go there and finish the job. And I'm sure the, uh, your, ki your kids will be focused and, and ready to get after them on Friday. Uh, Coach, I can't thank you enough for, for being with us tonight. I mean, very, very special. And and hopefully, but, um, you know, uh, I, I know as we talked about during the week, I think it's important that you just talk about rushing in the game and, and keep everything else in, 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 uh, in, in kilter. Because I tell you what happens sometimes, you know, a lot of people start talking about the after effects of what they're going to do uh, with ring size and things of that nature. But I think the team that can stay grounded is the team that's going to walk away with the W. But, uh, Coach, thank you so much for, for being there. We will, we will be there on, on Friday night watching you. All right, guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We want to once again thank head coach Marcus Scott for joining us, especially with this team playing in the state title this Friday night against Russell in a big 5A matchup. But before we hit the break, we want to go ahead and thank our sponsor, LSR. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. 
Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross supermarkets. When we come back, we'll talk hash marks, no huddle offense, and we'll also dive into some lock of the week. So remember, you're watching on Varsity Sports Now. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with RK Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King Laplace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boutron and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. And we're going to kick off the Let's Be Frank segment in just a moment, but we'd like to thank Riverlands Insurance for sponsoring our podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. In our Let's Be Frank segment, we're going to have Coach Monica talk about hash marks. So, Coach, this is a discussion that we've had quite a few times about hash marks in football. And can you dive into what exactly you want to talk about in terms of this specific topic? 
Well, let me say this. First of all, the, there's a committee out there that is called the Federation Committee, Federation of High School Football, and they handle all the rules and regulations for, for high school football that if you play with Federation rules. Um, we, we, we play with Federation rules Louisiana. Uh, for two years there, we played for NCAA rules, which I really like better, and, um, and, and, but people don't understand that. Uh, Texas is an is NCAA state. They use NCAA rules. And what that means, that's the same rules that the college players use. And I, I think they're, they're more uniform. Uh, they, believe it or not, uh, they take consideration the safety factor more than the Federation schools. And a lot of people don't, don't believe that. But anyway, the, the, let me go to what, what, what my, my premise here is about the hash mark. Number one, the hash marks on high school field are 17 and two-thirds yards. So how do you arrive at 17 and two-thirds yards? A football field is 160 feet wide. So what they do, they divide it into thirds and it ends up 17 and two-thirds yards. Now, that's fine. But what, what happens if you're a kicker, if you're a 15-year-old kicker and you get inside the 15-yard line, that angle is quite severe. I'm not a geometrist. I, I really don't know what that angle is called. But it's a severe angle if you're inside the 15 for a young kicker to kick the ball uh, through those uprights. Uprights in high school are 23-4, 23 feet, 4 inches in high school. My thing is in college, the hash marks are 20 yards. Uh, and my argument has always been at every rules meeting, I would bring this up to, to the, the, the commissioner who was ever running the meeting and said, why can't we move them in? And uh, we, as a state, you can amend some of the things in the Federation, but for some reason, we, we, we never did want to do that. And we couldn't get enough people to agree to make that move. Move them to 20 yards, just like they do in college. Now, you say, well, college, their goalposts are a little narrow. They are. They're 18 six. They're 18 feet, six inches. But if you move those hash marks into the 20-yard line, that makes a big difference. Now, everybody thinks it's not just about kicking. It's about throwing a pass. For instance, if I'm a quarterback and I'm on one hash, can I really throw an out route to the other side of the field? At, at, uh, that, uh, that's that's going to be a long distance. Some quarterbacks in high school can do it. The ones that I've coached over the years could not do that. And the other thing is is that you, you, you get into field defenses. So when you're in a hash, People start sliding their defense more to the field, what they call it. They can cheat a half a man or cheat a man and a half to the field, knowing that if you try to run to the boundary, uh, you actually the boundary becomes like another defender. So that, that's one reason I, I, I like to see the hashes move. Now, the flip side, it's not just for kicking, though, because high school do have the option. They don't have to. They have the option to use what they call a block tee. It's a two-inch tee that lays flat on the ground that they can kick off. Some of the better kickers that are more advanced, they want to start training for that. And what they do, they shave their tee down a little bit. So when they do get to college, they're used to kicking the ball off the ground. That, But it's, it's more than just about kicking. Uh, I remember and I had a, a guy that I coached with at Tulane for years, for years, and he was an NFL coach. And he told me when the NFL moved, now, by the way, the NFL, their hash marks are right on the uprights, which is the same thing as college, 18, 18 feet, 6 inches. So they're right on the upright. So if you ever look at a pro field, NFL field, they're closer. College is 20. High school is 17 and two-thirds yard. And um, this guy told me, he said, when they moved those hashes in, they thought it was going to really open up the passing game in the NFL. You know what it did? He said the year before, they had 2,000-yard rushers in the NFL. When they moved them in, they had eight. 1,000-yard rushes in the NFL. So it actually helped the running game out tremendously. But I do know this. The, I, would love to see, I would love to see 
the NCAA rules be incorporated back in the, into Louisiana. We had them one time, and we were told by the administration that it was a safety factor that insurance wouldn't cover, which is malarkey. Texas has five times more high schools than Louisiana has, and uh, there's no lawsuits about about what the rules are as far as as far as that's concerned. Uh, but the and that's another little pet peeve of mine, and that's uh, I think the federation rules do not allow you to kick that returned a kick out of the end zone, for instance, on the kickoff. Well, if you have a real good kicker that can reach the end zone, that means that week, I cannot even, with Federation rules, I cannot return a kickoff out of the end zone. That's the most exciting play in football, so we take it out of the game. Why? Because they think it's a, it's a safety factor. I don't see where four or five yards would make the difference whether it's a safety factor. So those two things, those two things I don't understand. Now, the other thing is, and why we, 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 we don't have, they claim we don't have a representative that, that, that can go to the NCAA meetings that have a voice. Well, guess what? We don't send anybody anyway to the National Federation meeting. So whether we have a representative at the National don't have one at the Federation meeting or the NCAA rules meeting, it doesn't really matter. And I'll give you, for instance, NCAA rule, they have a halo rule, which means that if you get too close to the ball, there's a penalty. Do you realize in Federation they have no halo rule? And so a, a, a guy could get blown up on it. He, I, I can crowd that guy. It gets close to him. As long as I don't make contact, it becomes a personal foul. But if I time it right, there's no halo rule. So, I mean, that's just one thing that, that people don't realize. But going back to the hash marks, I certainly would like to see that change and make it more uniform. So when, a, when you watch TV from a, a, on a Friday night, Saturday, and a Sunday, the rules are, are pretty uniform. Coach, uh, for someone like me, I, I've always, because of you uh, and playing for you, I've always noticed that, and that's always been a pet peeve of mine, the fact that the hashes are so far out. But can you explain to people what is – the purpose of it, uh, as you mentioned, it, it makes kicking much more difficult for players. But what purpose does it serve to have the hash marks that wide at the high school level, as opposed to it be so much different from any other level of football? It, 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 there's no purpose. They can't even justify it. All they've done is take the they take the field and divide it into third because it's easy. It's easy for them not to change a rule. Uh, it doesn't make a bit of sense to me. And the numbers, as you know, on the on the football field must be uniform. The bottom of the numbers must be seven yards. The top of the numbers must be nine yards. So every field must be marked accordingly. The, now, what's funny, uh, the Federation has a rule. You're not supposed to put a double line on the 20 and a triple line on the 50 to decorate your field. A lot of people do that for decoration. Well, all these turf fields now have them. But guess what? It's supposed to be a penalty. Do you ever see that enforced? It's never going to be enforced. And it's silly. It's really silly because, I mean, that's ingrained into the turf. So what do you do? Take it out? So consequently, that's been in the rule book for, for a, a couple of years now. That's a federation standard. And I, I, don't, I don't get it. But now I do know this. The Federation is composed of a bunch of old people, and I'm one of those. It's a bunch of old people that really don't like the kicking game. And uh, they would like to see the kicking game completely taken out. Look what the NFL has done. The, the NFL has done that. They got them, even in college now, they got the fair catch thing on kickoffs. Um, the, the NFL, the, PA, the, the PATs are backed up. It's just not from the two-yard line anymore. So it's not automatic anymore, uh, that sort of thing. And they're trying to really, really – you're going to see it. It's going to come down just to scrimmage now pretty soon. They really want to take the kicking game out because they think it, it creates injuries. Thank you, Coach. And let's go ahead and move on to the football one-on-one segment where you get to break down different aspects of football for the fans out there. And this week you want to discuss no-huddle offense. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the craze and the fad, I guess, so to speak. And, 
And a lot of people want to play fast. Some people want to get, get a snap within every 14 seconds. Uh, and the, it, it makes the players play fast. Um, I get it. I, I will tell you this. And, uh, with the no huddle, and I've done a little, this is a little research. It's undocumented research. But I think no huddle teams get penalized uh, a lot less. And, um, and, and because we've always been a huddle team, and I look at the stats at every box, and say, wait a minute, we got double amount of penalties they have. And the only penalties you see from no huddle teams are be something like uh, illegal motion, uh, maybe a hold on a perimeter. But, and, and the reason is because those officials are hustling to spot the ball. Now, they do have to give the defense a chance to substitute in college, but high school, that's not enforced. I mean, they, 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 if I try to snap the ball quickly, and it's all, it's all a matter of, uh, okay, how they execute it. Now, this is what some people do. Some people use hand signals. Some people use maybe two or three guys on the sideline. One guy would be a dummy. That means that his signals mean nothing. And it might change by series, might change by quarters. Uh, the other two guys, one might change the signal in the formation, and the other guy was the play. And then the quarterback must, must relay that it, it verbally or sometimes it's on the wristband. Many, many people use wristbands and they'll say, all right, a number or, or something like that. And, or you see the sideline, you see with different placards, you see different, you might see Mickey Mouse pictures, Donald Duck, different people. They all signify something. Sometimes they're formation, sometimes they're play, and sometimes it's incorporated with motion in it. And, uh, and all these are methods and coaches really, really sit down and, and uh, go through a lot of things, a uh, best way to, to make their team play faster. Okay. Now, do defensive coaches like this? Heck no. The defensive coaches, they want to see, they don't want to see taking 80 snaps a game from their defense. They would like to see a well-rounded offense that plays to their defense and a defense that plays to their offense. They don't want to see 80, 90 snaps in the ball game against the defense because chances of them making a mistake are greater than. But uh, people have gone to this system. Uh, like, a, again, they, they can use a card system from the sideline. They can use verbal commands. Uh, for instance, you might say, you might say um, New Orleans means left and Saints means right. And uh, so you say, all right, New Orleans means I'm running the play to the left. If you say the Saints, you mean play, run to the right. Uh, they'll use those kind of coding systems and uh, they'll sit down and, and really study. It's, it's pretty unique the way some of these coaches come up with it. And uh, some of them also come up with what they call a, a fake snap, a false snap. So you might use the term uh, like you might use the term like dragon. You hear me say dragon and I'm saying hut, hut afterwards. I'm trying to draw you offside. But really, it's just to draw your sides. That's what they call a false snap. And you see teams do that. Uh, you might see the quarterback even even motion his hands like this also. And um, But a lot of people are staying in gun. They're staying in gun always, even if they're on, on the goal line. Uh, but remember, the objective of this is to play as fast as you can. Now, when you play fast, you can actually miss block some things and, um, and not, not really uh, execute it correctly. But you still have success because that defense is trying to get lined up. And uh, sometimes they, they're out of condition and sometimes it, 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 they're not even thinking straight. And, uh, and, uh, but all this, I think, is, is in a, it's, it's really to, uh, designed to, to get more snaps in the game. The more opportunities I have, the more bats, the more chance I have to, to score. And uh, that, that really helps teams out. So the no harder offense is going to be here to stay uh, unless the, they put in more rules against it. And uh, in terms of that, but right now, um, the I think, uh, you know, Nick Saban was one of the guys that first said, wait a minute now, a defense should have a, an opportunity to, 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 when you put in your certain personnel, they should have an opportunity to change personnel. And if you watch them, you see the umpire do that. The umpire will step right there in front of the quarterback, and he, he'll put his hand up and say, wait a minute, you can't snap. 
the ball because they're making the change. And see, their coaches in the press box, they're watching the sideline with binoculars. So if they see a tight end or two tight ends going to the game, they're changing out and they're going with a stronger, a stronger defensive look. And uh, if they see more receivers going to the game, they're going to nickel or dime uh, defensive backs. So they're watching those sidelines and scouring those sides. There are coaches, two coaches in the press box that are watching that on a daily basis. So the no huddle offense is really a great offense. But yet, you know, uh, from the standpoint of of, um, of possessions, um, you might that defense might take a lot of hits. And that's why you see a lot of high scoring games because they're playing a lot faster than than in the old days. Uh, I still kind of like to be a traditionalist and. And um, and because I like to play to the defense, and and I think that's important in the game, and the defense likes that also. And plus, I think you you're more of a physical football team rather than a finesse team. And the ones that you find out, we find that out in the Superdome this week. The the, the more physical football teams will win those games, not the finesse teams. Thank you, Coach. And let's go ahead and take a look at our question of the week in our blitz the ball coach segment. And, Coach, this week the question is, what is the most important thing needed to build a new program from scratch? Well, number one, Jason, whenever – if you go to a new program, the first time you're a first-time coach or first time that you, you've been head coach or you're taking over a brand-new program, you need tools. And you say, what exactly is that? Number one, you go to the administration, and you have to make sure the administration is on your side. If uh, you were hired by a board and, and not and the administrator is not in your in your corner, uh, you're going to have problems because if you have to be the person that administrator wants that to, to work with. So if it, if there's a abrasive attitude going in, uh, it's not going to be very very good for you in the future. You really need to get out of Dodge or not even take that job. But the first thing you do to put your stamp on the thing, um, if the administration will help you, those tools. Number one, you need to make sure that you get kids. In a physical edu education class, you know, in high school now, you only have to have two years of physical education. But if you can get your, your athletes in a physical edu education class, that way you can lift them. Uh, they, they can lift during the school day and they'll have, they have time. You can either make that a study hall if you care to do that. Uh, or you can make it a film session if you care to do that. Uh, because a lot of them won't, they will not lift during the season every day, but it will be twice a week. And those teams, if you look at teams around the state, and I can name a bunch of them for you, they all have what they call athletic PE, where they get those players during the school day. Now, uh, I didn't have that opportunity because I had to have my kids come at 7 o'clock in the morning or early in the morning to lift weights uh, or stay after late after practice, and, um, and that, that becomes, a, that becomes a, a hardship on you. And you extend the kids' day. You really do. And, uh, but the, you see a lot of the bigger programs, they got those kids. Basically, they end up with, with two-day practices. So if you take those kids in PE and you're lifting weights or you're watching film or even if you do a walkthrough outside, that's like a two-day practice because then after you go outside. So that's the number one thing. The, the second thing you do, you have to be, get along with that administration. The third thing you, you, you need to do, you need to have facilities. You need to have facilities. You need to and and, you, and uh, because the kids want they want to be have attractive facilities. And if you don't have them, you dangle a carrot. What does that mean? So you tell them, that, listen, we're building a new weight room. You might never build it. <laughs> you might never build it. But I'm building a new weight room. I'm building a new locker room. This will be the Taj Mahal. We're going to put turf down on the field. But you need to dangle those carrots so the kids will be excited about the program. Two, you might want to change the uniform. You might want to change the, the culture, uh, the, the, the locker room. You need to put your stamp on it some kind of way. Um, the, the fourth thing you do, you want to walk this, the halls and recruit the school. You want to walk the halls and walk to this little kid and say, hey, 
Um, you play football, once you come out there and try it, you'd be surprised the amount of football players that will come out. And, and, and you say, well, why didn't you come out before? You know what they'll tell you? No one asked. No one asked me before. And I mean, it's surprising how many kids that they don't know. They don't know what's out there. And of course, you know, you got the, the physical element because you say, well, I don't want to get hurt or something like that. So just try it. Come out for spring training. If you don't like it, you can always give it up. But at least come out for spring training. Those 10 days will go, will go quickly. Next thing, I would, I would have a no-cut policy. So listen, you come out for this football team, I'll find somewhere for you. Because there are 86 different positions on the football field. I can find somewhere for you in the special teams or something like that. So you, you have to tell them, listen, we, we, we won't cut anybody. And uh, a lot of people don't like that. But I think it's great because you have to build up your numbers before you have a program. The next thing you need to show that you're innovative. You need to show your administration. You need to show your public, your, your students, that you're going to change things. And you're innovative, that you're thinking, uh, whether it's in offense, defense, or whether it's the colors of your scheme, uh, helmet color. Uh, one of the first things I did when I went to St. Charles, I, 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 I painted the, the, the helmets blue. I wanted a, a re-root blue, and I got the, the signal from um, the Tennessee Titans that took their logo, and we kind of mocked that a little bit, and um, and, uh, and and that, which I really, really am very, very proud of that. That's a real pretty logo. And uh, But I wanted a darker color because it's, it signified being more physical, uh, as a football team because we had the LSU gold and uh, on it at one time. And I said, you know, I don't want to turn on the film and look like somebody else. I want them to be distinctive. They know soon they put on the film, that's St. Charles Catholic. That's our logo. So I think it, you need to dangle that carrot. And naturally, you have to have some talent. We all know that. And I think it's up to the coaches. You need to hire some real, real good coaches. I didn't care what those assistant coaches knew. I didn't care if they knew more than me, which was great if they did. Most of them did. But I wanted a coach that was going to work. I, I don't care what he knew. I was going to teach him. I just wanted somebody that was going to work with him, be loyal, and be there be there with you, be at every practice, be at all the film sessions. But as long as he had a great work ethic. And because I didn't care if, if he didn't play a down of football. If, because if a guy had a great work ethic, one of the best coaches I've ever had was a basketball coach his whole life, never coached football. But he, he loved the, the, the teaching the fundamentals after we taught him what to do, and he loved the sport. So uh, basically, that's kind of it, and that's, that's a lot more to that story. But uh, if you're taking over a new program, I think you must have some of these, some of these incentives. Thanks, Coach. And let's go ahead and take a look at our Thanks for the Memory segment. And you wanted to highlight um, someone from the past, and that would be Nick Forsythe. Yeah, Jason, I can't say enough. Nick was my was my grunt guy. He was a he wasn't a, just a water boy that people call him. He was a manager. He was kind of like an assistant coach. He had all the keys to the buildings, keys you name it. He had the keys for everything. Uh, the little court that would drive things around. He would direct the other managers and about what to do. And he was just a phenomenal guy. He was strict in that birth, you know, with a defect, with a birth defect. And uh, we were playing a ball game, and it was senior night. And I promised him, I said, Nick. What about if you played? And he gave me that iguana look. He said, Coach, you kind of look like, a, I guess he thought I was smoking wacky weed. And he said, I said I'm going to dress you out and I'm going to play you. So we dressed him out in the uniform. And the game just so had that, that we, we got the game. We didn't anticipate. It was a close game. But at the end, we kind of pulled away. And we had an opportunity. And, I, and, uh, and so we lined him up as a receiver so he can play a couple snaps. And we, not, we ran the ball the other direction so he could play a, a couple snaps. He had brothers that played, you know, that, that played for me. So I, I think I think that, um, uh, you know, th they all they all took this in stride and said, you know, uh, how special was this that 
Blake played, and then there was Nick, who's second in the Forsyth family, and then there's Tyler, who's now coaching there now, and then Logan was the last one in the Forsyth. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Forsyth was, was just tremendously supportive of that. And uh, I mean, the crowd got a big kick out of that, and the whole deal. I, I, and you know, uh, I actually teared up when I saw him out there on the on the field. I said because you know, and we and the team did too. I mean, he got a standing ovation from the team, got carried off the field, and the whole deal. So that was a very special moment. Uh, Nick Forsythe was, was my manager, got an opportunity to play when um, when um, uh, other healthy guys that um, could be playing uh, did not. And I kind of sent a message to everybody. I said, look at this guy. He'd do anything to, to get on the field. So uh, special thanks to to Nick Forsythe for those memories. Again, I went to school with Nick, and he was um, part of the program when I was there, and just a great guy. Uh, as you mentioned, always a person who was going to do what he needed to do, went above and beyond what he was asked to do. And, again, it was um, – I don't know if I was there that night because I was probably calling a game, but um, I got to see that moment on the field. and It was awesome to witness. And, as you mentioned, getting to see Blake – um, who I also played ball with on the other side of the field in that game was was really awesome to see. Uh, Coach, our last segment, lock of the week, not a ton of options this week, um, but who are you going with this week? Well, I'm doing pretty good. I had two lanes uh, two weeks ago. I had Utah uh, this past week, and this week I got it because of the bowl games are far off, so I'm going to the pro level. I'm going to Seattle Seahawks versus Carolina. I'm going to go ahead and take Army one and a half over Navy. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I don't know why I even bother picking this at this point, Coach. I've been, I've been absolutely <laughs> awful this season. But, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get lucky and get a win this week. But um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, that'll do it here from us. Uh, again, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and watching and or listening, depending on how you're consuming this media. Uh, but we want to go ahead and give you our social media and where you can watch and or listen to us. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher. And, again, you can watch uh, – also YouTube. Again, you can watch or listen to us anywhere um, that you can find a podcast. So uh, that'll do it for us for this week. Next week will be our final show with – uh, the playoffs coming to an end in the Superdome. But again, thank you guys for joining us over the course of this season. So that'll do it for us. So for head coach Frank Monica, I am Jason Duey. I also want to thank Justin Thomas. And remember, let's lay ball to a lay up the good times roll. God bless everybody. Make sure you go to church. <laughs>